and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined, as I am every week, by Mr. Shane Reeves. You know, when choosing a cigar, I was thinking, well, I've smoked that one on the show, but darn it, this is the cigar I want to smoke. Hey, sometimes that's <laughs> what matters. I, I, same, same story over here. Some, some days you're just like, okay, this is the cigar I want right now, and it, it kind of overrides everything else. And this is the Bighorn 2.0 from Big Sky Cigars. San Andreas wrapper, Nicaraguan binder and filler. Just a great, great stick. And what's surprising about this stick, it's so rich. You know, to be a, it's a rich Maduro. Yeah. And um, Glenda even likes it. And she doesn't usually smoke a Maduro at all. First one I gave to her, I thought, okay, she's going to take three puffs and hate it and I'll get to finish it. Right. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. She likes it. She likes it a lot. So just a great cigar. I'm really looking forward to smoking that one. What are you going to smoke? I'm smoking the H. Upman by A.J. Fernandez uh, Heritage. So this is not the you know, golden blue label that you and I both adore. Um, this is uh, made by Altitus in the A.J. Fernandez, or made for Altitus in the A.J. Fernandez factory. Uh, Nicaraguan Puro, except for, like, so binder and filler, rather. Um, Brazilian wrapper. And it's just, it gives a little something different than the regular uh, AJ H. Upman. It's a little richer. It's a little deeper. It, it's not as AJ. Yeah, the Heritage one of my... I actually probably like that as well, if not a little better than the other one. You know what I would say is I, I like it a lot. And what keeps me from liking it more than the other one is that this fits a certain part of my palate that is not always at the forefront, whereas the other one is always stellar. This one sometimes hits me hit or miss, but I've also, I've had more construction issues with this than I have the other. I've never had a construction issue on the other one. I've had several of these that draw too tight. Okay, draw too tight. Yeah. Yeah, that I have not had. I have noticed that's a more fragile wrapper. That's a wrapper, you know, the other AJ... Um, H. Upman collaboration, you know, you can hit it with a truck and still smoke it. It's a tough wrapper. That wrapper has a lot of durability. The wrapper on that one seems to be a little more temperamental. Seems to be like it could be, but I've not ever had draw issues with that particular cigar. Now, it could be, you know, I bought a bundle of these recently, and so, and not a box, a bundle. So it could be that they were sourced from different places, and so it was just kind of hit or miss, and I was in the other shop, and it was about the only smokable op- option that they had available uh, a week ago. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And sure enough, it drew so tight. So tight. I was like, come on. So here's a question. You know, I have a lot of cigars at home. But I have a lot of new stuff. Like, I would trade some stuff that I bought when I liked it for some new stuff that's come out. So in the gun business, you can take your gun in and they'll give you an appraised value. And okay, here's what the gun, here's what we'll give you in cash for it. Here's what we'll give you in trade value for this particular gun. Be nice if there was a cigar shop that did that. I think that's where all of those online communities started, 
right? Of, Probably a swap. I can, I can get a hold of this, or I've, I've stopped liking it or whatever, so swap it for something else. I, that's how a lot of those started before it was all about, you know, just getting high dollar for limited edition stuff. Probably. That's probably where it started. But I've, I was thinking about that the other day because I'll, I'll look in my humidor at the house, and I'm like, man, I used to love that cigar, but I'm not so big on it anymore. I think I need to reorganize my humidor and just pull out all my cigars and really see what I have and say, okay, these are the ones I'm smoking in the next six months. These are the ones that I'm not. Mm-hmm. And instead of kind of doing the Easter egg thing, because my humidor is a mess right now. Really? That I surprises have, me. Well, it's a mess as far as... Lots of singles, fewer boxes. Yeah, so many, th- you know, so many times I get give a cigar by a rep and it ends up in the humidor. I win one in poker, it ends up in the humidor. I... So many times it does that sort of thing, which I will say, I smoked the Olmec this week. Was not impressed at all. Was not my flavor profile. That really surprised me. Not because, I mean, I know, I know that nothing that comes out of that, that particular brand really treats you well, but I did think it was good. Now, I heard a lot of people say that they thought it was the best cigar of the year, and I don't know that I can go that far. I don't know what I would say was, but it just didn't hit me that good. Well, and in its defense, he gave me the Claro. He didn't give me the Maduro. Mm. So I wonder if maybe the Maduro would have a little better shot. Maybe I did have the Maduro, and it was it was it like it was good. It was a, I'd say it was a six and a quarter, maybe. Well, you know, and what's funny is we had the knuckle sandwich that I've smoked here a couple of times. Well, we got a new knuckle sandwich in that's in a box press here. It's awful. Really? Two cigars of the same brand. One is really good. One is really terrible. That surprises me. So it, it, it's all just palate. It's all just what you're, what you're feeling that day. But speaking of trying out a new cigar, Bandolero Firecracker and Wise Men Maduro Firecracker return for 2023. So United Cigars has begun shipping um, two previously re- released Firecracker limited editions. I've never seen the Bandolero in a Firecracker anywhere. Bandolero is a great cigar. It's made by United Cigars. It's kind of the the entry point for Adaby type cigars. Okay. And they're wonderful. They're about twenty bucks each, which is a little pricey, and it's hard yeah. to get people. I hate to recommend anybody a $20 cigar. If I recommend you a $20 cigar, I have to be confident in my mind it's worth $25 to $28. Right. Because I have to give myself some room there because I feel awful if somebody buys a $20 cigar and doesn't like it. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. It, on your, that, that trades on your reputation a little bit. Yeah, so this is, a, you know, in the Bandoleros, the guys wanted us to come in and I've told the story and we brought them in. They've not really set the world on fire here. They've not done a lot of selling. Now, the, the people that asked you specifically to bring them in, have they supported it? Bought a couple. Yeah. Matter of fact, I made that point to someone the other day. He said that we should bring in this cigar. I said, hey, you ain't smoking the mandaleros we brought in for you. They're like, well, they're $20 each. Well, you knew they were $20 each when you told us to bring them in. Right. <laughs> Which is one of the benefits of me not being an owner. Because I can stuff say like stuff that like that. <laughs> I, can, I can call somebody out on, on something like that. And yeah. Say, hey, we brought these in because you said that you wanted these and now you're not smoking them. <laughs> but the, um, this Bandolero Firecracker, it's a three and a half by 50 short Robusto. 
long pigtail so that it looks like the firecracker. They're going to retail for about $9 each and all. And so basically half price. Here's my question. If you get these in, do you think they sell in such a way as to help the sales of the Bandoleros? Or do you think people just look at them and say, I'm not paying $10 for that little old bitty cigar? I, I, it's, it's tough because I, I've heard you speak such good things about the Bandolero, but I have such a hard time pulling the trigger on a $20 cigar. And I, but I, if I look at the firecracker, there, there's two things. One is the first thing I'm thinking is like, yeah, but that's still $10 for a 20 minute smoke. Right. I that, can get a, I can get a Lagolera in a Toro for eight bucks. Yeah. Uh, now, it, the Lagolera wouldn't be as good for sure. But, you know, but the flip side of that is, and we've talked about this many times, the cost of a cigar is mostly not to do with the tobacco. It's the number of people that touch it. It's the labor. And that's why from a Robusto to a Gordo, you're talking about maybe a dollar's difference. So when we look at the difference in the amount of tobacco that's in the Toro of the Bandolero versus the Firecracker, they're obviously either taking a loss on the Firecracker as an entry point or coming real close. Or the Bandolero is radically overpriced. That's that's also a possibility. But, well... So I respect them for at least recognizing we can't do this on a sliding scale of cost. We have to make it more budget friendly. Well, and let so let me reiterate, I don't want it to sound like I'm working the side of the street of the evil overlords are charging more for the cigar than it's worth. No, but the Adabies, there's a certain price structure expected. The... You know, Byron's, there's a certain price structure inspected. Yeah. So you don't necessarily, if all the cigars are in your portfolio are 30 and $40 cigars, you don't necessarily want to stick a $10 cigar out there because it certainly damages. There's a reason that Ruth's Chris Steakhouse doesn't have chicken strips on the menu. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, no, and I, I think, well, and it goes back to, you know, the, a cigar is worth what someone will pay for it. And I, I think... Yes, $20 is, for those of us who've been smoking a while, is such a hard number to look at. But when you're talking about a a higher quality cigar than your workhorse, you know, we smoke mostly workhorse cigars. I don't expect a workhorse to cost $20 and never should it. Right. But if you're not making workhorse cigars, then I I think it's a a fair point. I, you know, I, I don't know. So I would probably smoke the Firecracker Bandolero so that I could say I'd had the Bandolero. I don't know what it could do for me that I'd like it enough that I said, okay, I'll, I'll buy the full, the full one next time. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it's worth bringing something like that in to maybe spur. But, you know, it's, it's kind of the old, the old game, okay, you know, any retailer, you say, oh, yeah, this cigar ain't selling. Oh, we ought to bring it in in the Robusto. Okay, well, the one I got ain't selling. Yes, but if they see the Robusto on the shelf, they'll buy the Toro. And, I'll, you know, Perdomo, they make you bring in four sizes right. of everything. And we sell very few Robusto Perdomos. But it does make the Toros and the Gordos and the Churchills sell more. Yeah, it's the old Wendy's principle. Yeah, it's the double cheeseburger. Yeah. 
So, yes, there is a valid, you know, a valid thought process in that. So, from Cigar Aficionado. A 1938 French Roadster takes top honors at the Newport Car Show. So, okay, did, what did you know about the Newport Car Show? Almost nothing. Almost I, nothing. I, I knew that it existed. That was about it. Okay. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't know anything above and beyond that? No. Well, so the Newport Car Show um, is Newport, Rhode Island, the annual Aldrian Newport Concourse and Motor Week. So I guess this is kind of like, what's the big one over in England? Uh, it's a little bit different than Goodwood. Goodwood. So Goodwood is the Festival of Speed, and that's really about seeing classic cars on track and, and really seeing them put to use. In fact, this past year, Sebastian Vettel, who's a, a four-time Formula One world champion, actually took a carbon-neutral version of a, of a Formula One car up their hill climb course. It was very, very cool. And this is based around a different type of... What does carbon-neutral mean? It basically means that there... So, it, it's a buzzword, uh, if you want me to go into it further than that. But it's ba- it basically means that they... The, the materials, anything that isn't renewable, they make up by using ultra-renewable things so that essentially you're not increasing your carbon footprint. Formula One and FIA in general, who's the governing body, have made a pledge to be totally, to be net zero in terms of carbon emissions by, I think it's 2028, um, basically using more sustainable fuels, more sustainable uh, manufacturing components, that sort of thing. Um, and Sebastian Vettel is... He's a guy that would ride his bicycle to the track. He was a driver. And, you know, but he was putting his money where his mouth is. And I respect a lot of it. You know, everybody else is driving away in their Ferraris and their, you know, NSXs and these things. And then he's actually, he's actually riding his bicycle because he's, he's, all, he's all about sustainability. It, anyway, so where the Newport Car Show is different is that it focuses around Concourse d'Elegance, which is um, basically how pretty and clean and original you can make your car look. So it has to arrive under its own power, so it has to be a functioning motor car. But it's judged on appearance, originality, uh, intactness, uh, that sort of thing, more so than it is about actual speed. Well, so the winner was the Delage D8 120 Roadster, and it was built by, you want to take that French word? Corbovio. Corbevois? Corbevois. France by the coach building firm De Villiers. Anyway, later introduced in Paris. Good looking car. Looks like the old Rolls Royce type model. Or not Rolls Royce. What's those ones? Not Duesenbergs, but it's the ones that looks like Duesenbergs. Oh, I can never remember. It starts with a K. I'm, I'm totally out of my element here. But anyway, so the interesting thing about this article that I liked was Arturo Fuente and Oliva Cigars handed out cigars at the event Thursday, and McLaren Boston handed out sleek single cigar tubes to VIP guests. So what do you think a McLaren cigar tube would sell for on the open market? <laughs> uh, quite a bit, I'm sure. <laughs> that would be, that'd be a prize piece. That would be pretty cool. That, that is. That's a pretty cool idea. And, you know, one of the categories, they had tons of categories... Uh, America pre-war, 1920 to 1930, European post-war. 
The one I liked was 30 under 30. Cars, owners under 30 who have built their cars with less than $30,000. That's super cool. Well, you know, that I guess that appeals to the same part of me that appeals to talking about the cost of cigars as part of rating cigars. You know, I have the argument in here once a month. The guys say, well, you shouldn't rate a cigar based on its cost. You should rate the cigar based on the cigar. But I don't buy that. I think, I, I think the cost is important. I do too. But it, it, it's funny how, in some ways, sort of outside comparison beats inside comparison and vice versa. You know, we, we've talked about movies a lot of times and how you can't listen to film critics because they will say, you know, Bridge Over River Kwai is one of the best or, you know, movies ever made, but it's a snooze fest. But they pan every Marvel movie that comes out. And it's like, right. they're different. You can't judge them both under the same... You know, and that's one of my complaints about the film industry and the Oscars especially. They take, in, they take no accounting in for how much money the movie made. Mm. All they think about is what was the, the art, the statement, and all that. But, I mean, if, like, Avengers, when it comes out and it sells over a billion and it outsells every movie that year, how can it not be the best picture of the year? Well, but, but in that case, the scorecard is your revenue, right? So there's a difference. If, if that's what you're going for is just to make money. But, you know, because, you know, the number one selling car in the country, uh, I don't know what it is anymore, but it, it used to be the F-150, you know that's that's not winning any automotive awards either, but that's but it's the most popular with the American public, and it's the same with the film industry. The film industry isn't isn't for in the purpose of the Oscars. They're not out there saying, "Hey, you did the best this year. You made the most money this year." They're saying, "Hey, you you brought something you unique and interesting and different to the table." And but if the market's saying, you know, I had ten people say to me, "Oh, you gotta you gotta go watch Avengers Endgame." I had nobody say to me, you got to go watch The Shape of Water. Yeah. I, <laughs> so there, I, think that I, I think the money is not the defining characteristic, but I do think it should be a legitimate indicator. Well, it, that's, but that's why we have things like the People's Choice Awards and things where mass appeal is really what matters more so than the actual, you know, because you've got to think, film is still an art form. And so the people who are most critical of it are going to be the, the highfalutin kind of people. But, um, well, but going back to the 30 under 30 thing, I think it's great. There's a, in the tuner community, there's a common phrase called built, not bought. And it's for the guys that take whatever junkyard find that they could get their hands on for $500, and then they spend the time actually building that car into a proper race car or, or something that they're proud of. And, it, you know, by comparison to the guys who just buy a Ferrari and show up, you know. And so I, I think that's great, especially in a classic and antique car show like this, where most of these, like even that, that French car that took top honors, it was bought by its owner in 2019. He just bought it. Right. He just bought it to win the yeah. show. But where that's what, you know. Most people under 30 don't have just a whole lot of disposable income they can throw at a weekend warrior car. And so to be able to buy something uh, for, and put something together for less than 30 grand when you're not even 30 years old yet, that's a feat. 
That is. That's pretty impressive. I thought. I just thought this was an interesting article. I know you're far more of a car guy than I am. I actually I'm, got my short shifter installed on my car this weekend, and I am very happy with it. Very nice. I haven't gotten to spend time under the hood of my car wrenching in a while. That felt therapeutic. See, I have no talent for that. I have no, and I think that's part of it. I think that's part of why we're seeing such a decline in NASCAR is NASCAR was popular in the days when guys could work on their own cars. Yeah. And now that those days are kind of falling by the wayside, I think that's one of the reasons we're kind of seeing such a decline in NASCAR. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, nowadays, the you know it used to be if you wanted to increase the horsepower, you'd bolt some go fast bits to it, or you'd you know bore the car over the heads, or you know like you could do physical work to it. Now you can do all that same stuff with a computer if you know how, and it just takes the I don't know it takes the fun out of it. So, moving forward, let's talk about Balbin Brothers Cigar Factory being transformed into 70-room boutique hotel. So now we have talked about uh, cigar factories turned into hotels. Is this the same one that we talked to about a couple Different of weeks? Different one. Okay. Different one. This is Tampa, Florida. Fox well, so thir- was the other one. <laughs> Fox 13. They're on your side. The 110-year-old Balbin Brothers Cigar Factory in North Howard is being transformed into a 70-room boutique hotel. So this was an interesting article. They did a good job of going in here and talking about, okay, they evaluated this building and they said, okay, the structure is still rock solid. It's still square. It's still sound. Let's, let's tear it out and make a hotel out of it. I think that's really cool. I think that's a cool, a cool idea, whether it's a cigar factory or, you know, a house of ill repute, whatever you're remodeling. So one of the things that always cracks me up have, you've spent most of your life in or around the construction business, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen how they build houses in Florida? Mostly out of concrete blocks, ain't it? Doesn't that's that's my buddy's house? Yeah, that looks like a jail. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they they mostly build them out of concrete blocks because of hurricanes and yeah. winds and. Also, the fact that the ground there is a lot sandier. It's a right. lot harder to get a good foundation in. But it's just so funny. So it's it's one of those things you think about. Like, I know we have plenty of 100-year-old houses standing in Nashville because they were built with good quality timber and, and they survived fires and tornadoes and stuff like that. But it doesn't surprise me, really, when you consider how buildings in Florida have always been made, which is just concrete and steel, uh, that it would still be viable Uh from a bone standpoint. It, it, it amazes me that it's square. Well, we don't know that. Gen- well, they said in the article it's still square. Oh. Now, I didn't run out there for speed square and check it myself. It's as square as it was built to be. <laughs> right. Because even I'll be- my home that's less than two years old isn't square. Well, new homes are tough to get square. It's mm. tough to keep people... You know, if you can get the foundation, if you can stay on your block guy and get the foundation square then you standardly can get a good square house. But it's it's tough. It's really tough. So when they said it was square, that's what caught my attention. It's just a, just a little building clip. But I do think it's cool they're turning this old cigar factory into a hotel. It's So you, you put a, a little bit of a joke in the show notes that it's definitely haunted. How, how, many, how many ghosts? You think it's just one? Is it just the lector you hear at night? You think at the night? Oh, no, no. I think there's probably, um, 
you know, somebody that lost a couple of fingers in right. the cigar cutter. Probably somebody that was crushed by a pilona tobacco. I think I, I four ghost minimum. Yeah, four ghost minimum. <laughs> Definitely be in there. So let's step away for a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the FDA real quick, and we're going to talk about cigar labeling to dissuade cigar smokers. So we'll have that and more when we get back. Welcome back to Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane. So I didn't cross with the man that I just deafened, apparently. Again. <laughs> but I'm, I get excited coming back. I was like, oh, okay, this is my time. I want to bring energy into the show. I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be lagging or yeah. falling behind. So I, I try to bring that energy, and somehow that turns into a loud, loud introduction that, of Mr. Trey Deadman. That one got me right in the ears. We did get back from the mountains this week. Yeah. And I went and spent a couple of days in Gatlinburg. We went to Ober Mountain. Used to be called Ober Gatlinburg. Now it's We're, called Ober Mountain. Why the why the change? Well, rebranding. Okay. Just standard rebranding stuff. But we'd never been there before. How'd you not? Um, so it was really cool riding the tram up the mountain. So there's three sets of lifts that take you up the mountains out of Gatlinburg. There's the Sky Park. There's Anakista and there's Ober Mountain. So I don't think I know Anakista. Anakista is the new one. It just opened like two years oh, ago. Okay. And it's on the other side of the road. Okay. It's so wonderful that Gatlinburg still feels like 1972. It really does. I mean, I just, I love that part of it. You know, we, we ate at Howard's, um, the legendary Howard's Roadhouse right there in Gatlinburg. And all of these places, it was funny because I was in there and I was thinking, okay, this is what Logan's and Texas Roadhouse and this is what they're trying to recreate and they're missing it totally. Yeah, well, because it doesn't have the, the pedigree. Because it's, you know, that's what, when I was in college, I bartended at a, a restaurant called Smoky Bones, which was a chain barbecue restaurant owned by Darden, the same people that make crappy food at Red Lobster and Olive Garden. And it's just, you know, I grew up around barbecue and I was in, I was in Texas at the time. Like, yeah, I get what you're going for, but this ain't it. Yeah. Olive Garden is what, if you described Italian food to aliens, is what they would produce. Olive Garden is to Italian food what Taco Bell is to Italian food. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. It's it's funny when you start seeing these places and all, but it's it's funny when I love going back to Gatlinburg because it's kind of like going back to the source, the classic mountain town that became a family getaway. I, I do hate that we are losing some of the unique sort of tchotchke shops to the you know the novelty t-shirts and bongs and things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. If I if I was mayor of Gatlinburg, I'd get that crap out of it. I would make it a rule. 80% of your shop has to be made in USA or made by local craftsmen. Yeah. I would I would absolutely the all of these shops where they're selling yeah. the made in China crap. Or, yeah, it's well, just infiltrating there. And hey, here's the deal. 
all we got to do is quit buying it. I never buy any of that stuff. So people, if you go to Gatlinburg, don't buy the cheap maiden crown of junk. Well, not only that, but don't buy, you know, don't buy the stupid, you know, I'm not gay, but $20 is $20 shirts. And the, the ones that look like a guy with a big beer gut. You yeah. Know, like that. Everyone has an uncle who thinks that stuff's funny. Yeah. I, to everyone, I would give this piece of advice. You're not as funny as you think you are. No. <laughs> I know I'm not as funny as I think I am. And doing a podcast will actually tell you that. Because sometimes I say something that's hilarious to me, and then I hear it on the podcast and say, wow, that wasn't that good. Yeah. Uh, th- there have been... There have been a handful of jokes over the tenure of this show that I've edited out before we put it to air because it, I was hearing it on playback and went, nope, I'm not doing that. Yeah, there's a, there's a thought process there. Yeah. So, so everyone just remember, you're not as funny as you think you are. And one, I never wear T-shirts with writing on them. I very rarely do. Well, I always get some moron with a tr- second grade education standing in front of me trying to read my shirt. <laughs> It's just awkward. Do you remember when that was like the thing? This was would have been like early two thousands, I think. I, I remember they were very popular. The the shirts that had just a wall of writing, and oftentimes it would be, you'd get to the end of the shirt and you'd be like, "And you're the moron who's reading my shirt." It was like it was meant to be. I am so glad we've moved past that. But now it's been replaced by the tattoo. Somebody will have a tattoo on their arm that's like 200 words. And what do they expect? Do they expect I'm going to walk up to them and say, hey, I'm going to need you to hold still. Now raise your arm. For about 30 arm. minutes. Now roll over. Now turn around. Now come. I mean, really? How? I mean, uh, is it the recipe for chili? What? What is so important that and you then, needed it tattooed on your arm? And then, heaven forbid, he gets his arm amputated, and then I'll never find out who the killer was. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the rooster crowed at midnight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, I just, um, I, I don't get that part of life. but And the tattoo parlors all over Gatlinburg. Yeah. And Which, that one surprises me, too, because I, I guess, you know, to me, the, the closest relationship you have is with your urologist and your tattooist. Like, I know people that will travel hundreds of miles to go back to the, after they've moved, to the, to the person who does their, like, you pick a guy, you stick with them. This I'm on vacation in Gatlinburg, so I'm just going to walk in and find whichever method has the most teeth left and have him tattoo something well, on my body. And Gatlinburg, we've talked about it before, it's not a drinking destination. It's not the kind of place, you know, I can see tattoo parlors somewhere where you're, you know, in Nashville. Yeah. Where bridesmaids are all going to have too much to drink and make some bad decisions together. Yeah. Let's hope the tattoo is the least. Yeah. Let's hope that's the least bad decision they make that weekend. But I don't understand in Gatlinburg where it's just not a drinking, partying town. Which honestly really surprised me when I went back as an adult. You know, I guess, and I was living in Nashville at the time. So you just, it's funny, living in Nashville, you kind of forget that the world is not Nashville. Nashville is like living in a frat house to a certain extent. Yeah. When you're in your 20s and early 30s and you live close to the actual downtown... It really feels that way because there's always live music. There's always alcohol. There's always a party going on somewhere. So you go to a place like Gatlinburg and you think, of course, there's going to be bars lining the streets. And, and there's really not. No, it's it's a very relaxed destination. And, and Glenda and I, we were going to go to Dollywood, but we made the fatal mistake. We said, OK, we'll go to Ober Mountain. 
We'll come back to the cabin. We'll have a quick nap. And then we'll go to Dollywood when it gets dark. And, and you never made it And to then Dollywood. it's like, oh, yeah, we could go to Dollywood or we could sit here in this hot tub and smoke another cigar. Yeah. You know what one. Exactly. <laughs> All right. FDA. So from Cigar Aficionado, FDA appeals decision to spare cigar industry from regulation. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to read the first sentence of, uh, of this. In a move that surprised some members of the American handmade cigar industry, the FDA has appealed the ruling. Who? Who did this surprise? Anybody? Right. You just weren't paying attention if this surprised you. Yeah. This was, I, I, I called this, even before the, the, the ruling was official, I said they will appeal it if it comes back not in their favor. So here's my question. So I read this whole article, and I'm y'all can go through and read it. And basically, Rocky Patel says the FDA didn't provide relevant data, and they talked about the Judge Maida's ruling that F- FDA's um, ruling was arbitrary and capricious. Nowhere in this article does it say on what grounds FDA appealed. No, it doesn't. Although it's funny because now the burden of proof is on the FDA to prove that they actually did put some forethought and, you know, follow their own procedures and all of this stuff, which they're either going to doctor documents or they're not going to be able to do it, which... Do you think they're just arrogant enough that they just said, we're the FDA and we have the right to do this and that's the ground, that's the hill they want to down? Maybe, but that would have worked in the original lawsuit, but it won't work on appeal because, you know, in Judge Mehta's... um, to, to, to his his argument that basically put this ruling out. It was something like, where did I read that? It was several pages right. of him laying out, this is why I'm ruling this way. These are the ways in which you blah, 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 blah. So in order for them to win on appeal, they basically have to counter all of his points, and they're not going to be able to. No, they're absolutely not going to be able to. And, you know, there was... There was a lot of articles we cut out this week that was about different studies on people still attacking smoking. And here's the deal. Just just give up on premium cigars. It's, a, it's something that's enjoyed by adults, by adults, for adults. Kids are not smoking premium cigars. No. And I don't understand people that want to stick their nose into the business, such as from UNC Health. Coit team. They are not on your side. They are on nobody's side. Coit team develop effective cigar warning signage. Is there any sign that you could walk into there, into the humidor, and see on a box of cigars that would stop you from picking it up? Um, an MRI of my own lungs. Just the box shoots a beam and throws up a projection of your own yeah. lungs. That's one of those things. Like I don't inhale. Like, you know, and I, but. That's one of those things I'd rather just not know. Well, I've said it before. If cigars in my life 10 years early, 20 years early, the amount of joy that they've given me will far outweigh the cost. For sure. For sure. But uh, yeah, there's no, it's, you know, it's the same thing as the click it and ticket over the gantries on the interstate. It is 2023. Anybody who's not wearing a seatbelt is not going to be persuaded by seeing the sign 
that right. says you're going to get pulled over in a ticket if you if you don't wear your seatbelt. It's it's the jerk in the neighborhood that has the sign that says drive like your kids live here. So you're saying that I I'm that self-centered? Well, most people are or a lot of people that are. I that I will slow down if I say, "Oh, wow, my kids if they live I I'm putting a sign in my yard. Drive fast as you want. Our kids and dogs are on leashes." <laughs> We we actually have this issue in our neighborhood. They're trying to. They're still trying to get speed bumps put in our neighborhood. But it's the people who live there that are speeding. So it's like, you know, a right. couple of people have put up the little turtle signs and the things like that. And you know, just just keep your kids under control. You won't have right. to worry about them getting run over. You know, keep keep your kids and your dogs on leashes. You won't have any problems. But here's the point. There is no reason. That every cigar I pick up should have cigar cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. I know. First of all, that's not why I'm smoking cigars. Right. I'm, I'm not trying to mitigate my cigarette smoking with cigars. You know, it's it's funny because you know Canada has done the the blank packaging or the nondescript packaging thing, and as much as I don't like it, uh, from a you know expression, you know, freedom of expression kind of situation. I kind of like the aesthetic of what they've chosen. You know, the olive drab box with the stencil. It would work great as a cigar brand. It's just a waste of everybody's time. It is, for sure. But what but at the same time, I I don't I can look past the Surgeon General's warning on every box of cigars I buy. Where I want to see it gone from are the hats that I get and the ashtrays and the signage. Uh, you know, right. you get a poster. It has a Surgeon General's. Who cares? It just It's just a waste. It's such a waste that they're, that they're doing this for nothing. Yeah. They're just putting another burden on for nothing. So we're moving on from that article. All right. Bang for the buck. 14 great cigars for $8 or less. So I, I put in the notes, yes, Virginia, there are still $8 cigars out there. What's the Virginia? What's the... You don't... Yes, Virginia, there really is a Santa Claus, Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, no. Holiday Classic. Never seen it. Scrooge. <laughs> that, that one I have seen. <laughs> oh, have you seen that one? Yeah. The Bill Murray one or the other one? <laughs> uh, uh, the Bill Murray one. I, I've seen every version of Christmas Carol that exists, including the new one with Will Ferrell and uh, Ryan Reynolds. It was actually pretty good. Yeah, I'm out. You don't like Will Ferrell, right? I cannot stand. And I'm, and I'm not a big Ryan Reynolds fan. Yeah, I think anybody could have played Deadpool. I, probably. I, 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 I don't I know. Think, I mean, the only thing I've ever seen Ryan Reynolds in that I liked him in was Deadpool, and I think anybody could have done that. He's nothing special. <laughs> no. Okay. Just, uh, just crushing his career beneath my heel. And the flow of the show, but go on. <laughs> Moving forward. So, okay, here's the interesting part about this article. We did an article similar to this a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so when I seen this, I said, I checked the date first, September 13th, 2023. So it is an, an up-to-date article. But a lot of the cigars that were on it back then are still under $8. And all the Padron 2000 Maduro, still under $8. Yeah. The uh, Rocky Patel Vintage. Now, but, that's just the junior. So that... That one could have shrunk. Yeah. The short story has always been the short story. Yep. The Don Pepine Blue Label. Yeah. Now, that's the one that surprised me. I figured that one would have... If you had asked me, 
What does a Don Pepin blue cost? I would say 12 bucks. See, I bought one recently for like 950 which, you know, MSRP is not, you're, you're almost never going to get a cigar for MSRP anymore. Right. You're going to pay taxes. You're going to pay never, all the yeah. fees, things like that. But uh, the Hoya Silver, $7. It's been a cigar under eight from the day it was born. Yeah. And, and a good one at and that. And an excellent cigar under eight. Uh, now, the La Galera has suffered. Habano Half Corona 605. Yeah. If you're having to go to a Half Corona to get under eight. Yeah, that, that's, that's definitely suffered. Brickhouse holding steady. Yeah. Double Connecticut 785. And I don't think the Brickhouse regular is more than that. I think no, they're the same price. I think so. And I think, I think J.C. Newman would take a loss before they make the Brickhouse over $9. I think you're right. I think that it's such a such a legendary cigar in their portfolio. The one that surprised me, Oliva Siri G Figurado. I did not figure we would catch a Figurado on this. I, I didn't either. And the uh, the up a couple from that one, the Grand Habano Connecticut number one. Now this is the lunch break at five sixty four, but even the Toro is like eight fifty. And I had one the other day. It's not bad. Yeah. So there are still some even in this rate of day of inflation. There's still some cigars out there that are under $8. That's, that's pretty exciting. I, I just thought this was an interesting article. Yeah. I'm surprised the uh, Charter... Has Charter Oak creeped up over 8 at this point? I'm surprised. Yeah, it's, a, it it's about 9, I think. Okay. I haven't had one in a while. I, I, have, I, had one, I had one given to me the other night, but I haven't smoked it yet at all. We, were, we had Foundation sponsor poker the other night, and... That, and Thankfully, my guys, they're really grateful that I put the game together and all. They usually throw a cigar or two my way. Yeah. So there, there's usually something like that involved in it. But so let's talk philosophy. All right. I'm having conversation in here last night. And there was a guy on Joe Rogan. Um, I forget his name. But he was talking about artificial intelligence. And he was... It was the episode labeled him talking about artificial intelligence, but I would consider him a futurist. Okay. He seems to be the kind of guy that's always thinking about the future and what the future holds and the direction we want to go and things like that. And his point on AI was AI is coming whether you like it or not. We really just need to be focusing on getting more good out of AI than bad. Right. And that's that's been true of everything. You know, it's... You know, when automobiles first came you know there was all the same stuff you hear about evs today you were here you know there's not going to be gas stations in rural towns what happens if it breaks down and you know you don't have a horse to get you back home and you know so with every new piece of technology you know the internet i think uh, more recently is mostly more good than bad although there's a lot of bad that was that has become more accessible thanks to the internet i think there's a human nature portion where you remember the bad more than you remember the good yeah i i think that's it but i also think it comes to what it really comes down to is if it bleeds it leads well so here's a question and i'm going to pose this to the circle at some point in the near future would you vote for president ai no hold on absolutely not allow me to define president ai okay we're talking about an artificial intelligence that, ha- and we're not there yet. We're still 15, 20 years from this. At least. But a artificial intelligence that the facts are fed into, 
It looks at the record of history. It looks at the record of man. It looks at what's worked and what hasn't worked statistically. It's not susceptible to being bribed by one side or another. It's a completely impartial judgment based solely on logic. How could that not be the perfect president? Because, you know, and this is, for, for fear of going back a couple of weeks to our comment on stoicism, there are advantages uh, to, to the practicality of removing emotion from certain situations. Every situation. But humans are inherently emotional beings. So you, you A, outside of some type, even with AI, you can't factor out entirely the emotional response because that falls into success or failure of a, of a given thing. Um, the, way, the way, especially if we're talking about governance, the way something's received is, plays as much into whether or not something was successful as the facts and figures on paper. Uh, we did an article a few months ago on prohibition, how and it was repealed very quickly, or er, repealed very quickly. You know, all of the historical documents people talk about say, yes, it didn't work, prohibition never worked, blah, 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 blah. But if you look at it on paper, it actually did have some meaningful benefit over the time that it was enforced. So you have to look at the emotion because that tells the rest of the story because we're dealing with humans who are emotional beings. So, no, I would never work... Because also there has to be something fed into that AI to determine what success and failure looks like. Not just whether it's revenue, economy, whatever, but, you know, the the X factor is happiness. You know, and, and I was reading an article just the other day on freedom. And, you know, because everyone always says, oh, America's so great because of freedom. If you actually look at various metrics that have been defined that kind of establish a base, uh, a baseline for what freedom is, America's like number 11 in the world. But who defined those metrics? Somebody looking to write an article about America not being free? No, this is a... No. <laughs> See, now you're letting your emotions get in, in no, the way. No, no, I'm, logi- yeah. I'm logically looking at this. If I'm trying to sell an article stating no. that America's not as free as it wants to, no, then this was I a, would naturally draw from statistics to that. No, this was an international study, and it looked at things that are, uh, and I don't have it pulled up, but the point is, you know, there's there's always got to be a human element. I don't want to be... It's the same. Have you ever seen people grouse about speed cameras and red light cameras? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and they're awful, right? So how would you like to be governed by a speed camera? Okay, but I didn't say government AI. I said president AI. We've still got the Senate and Congress and all the processes that go through to make a bill, all the processes that go through to make a law, all of the schoolhouse rock stuff we saw when we were kids that talks about what it takes. I'm not taking that out. I'm just taking one segment that's otherwise useless, one segment that is in the government that could say to both Congress and Senate, hey, here's the facts, clean and crisp. Here's what the facts tell us 100%. 
and then they could be based on that. I'm not removing the human element. I'm just adding to rather than taking away that I'm adding the voice of intelligence, unbiased intelligence, and then let the other two sides face that out. All right, but let's say that we had an issue, just just issue XYZ, that had 75% public support. And, but President AI runs the numbers and says that this isn't, you know, the, the, the juice isn't worth the squeeze and, and vetoes it. What, what then? Well, there's ways around presidential vetoes. The, the, no the, one segment of the government has no, total power. The, the, no, I understand that. But my point is, you know, if it, it doesn't matter if, if the people who elect the senators and the congressmen want something and they actually get the senators and Congress for once to actually do what they said they were going to do when they got elected, I don't think we should eliminate the the human element of the executive branch. Now, what I will give you, though, is we have a an additional seat in, or, or we have additional component to Congress that says, um, you know, okay, you wrote this bill, you've passed it, and then it gets fed into the machine. And the machine says, hang on a second. You know, so it, it's an extra step in the way that says... So you would vote for an AI congressman. You would not vote for an AI president. No, but I'm not even saying an additional congressman. I'm saying an, an additional step in the process um, that looks at objectivity. I, I don't know what that looks like in terms of... Because you'd have to build additional checks and balances. And it looks like that. an AI president. <laughs> no, but you can't remove the office of the president from being a human. I just... You can't do it. I don't know. I would I would vote for President AI. I really would. I thought, but anyway, sorry, we got way off on my story there. So the other part portion of this that I was talking to him about, I said, you know, the other thing this guy was touting was universal basic income, which I think is a terrible idea. Right. I don't think there's any way that works out well. And he said, oh, so you're cherry picking this guy's ideals. Yes, I cherry pick everybody's ideals. I cherry pick all of the information that comes to me. And honestly, it's it's that sentiment, I think, that is at the crux of what's wrong with society at this point. It's, it's the Trump-Biden argument, right? If you voted for one, you must believe everything they believe in or vice versa. And I know several people who either voted for one against the other, pretty much Everyone I know who voted for one or the other, it was based. It was on a lesser of two evils basis rather than a whole hog agreement with everything that they signed up for. Right. I would like to, you know, it's what I've said. I'd like to live long enough to vote for someone who I thought would be a good president. Right. So this idea that we don't, you know, so, but it's, oh, if you, if you're in favor of universal health care, for example, then you must also, I had an argument with somebody in here recently that because I happen to agree with a couple of policies that tend to align left that all of a sudden now I want universal basic income and I want, you know, mandatory abortions and I want all these other things that are just, we've got to get away from that. Well, and I think the premise here is best summed up. All or nothing always leads to nothing. If, if your philosophy is you have to totally agree with somebody or nothing, 
then you'll never agree with anybody. Yeah, I, I have yet to meet the person on this planet who I agree with everything on. Yeah, even, even my wife, even the person I'm closest to in my life, we have fundamental things we do not agree on. Well, my wife and I disagree on how the best way to fold a towel. What, like, I mean, even the simple stuff, right? So the, the idea that you could have intense philosophical or political or religious discussions with somebody and 100% agree, you know, I, I've met very few people that I can have a religious discussion that I agree with more than 10% of what they say. Yeah, very, very little. And, I'll, and that's, and, you know, religion is a, you know, very... Religion is one of those subjects that people want to plant their flag and die on a hill. Yeah. And I just, I don't die on a hill on anything. You believe what you want to believe. It's not going to be that big a deal in my life. I'm going to believe what I believe. If you ask me what I believe, I'm going to tell you. Not because I'm trying to convert you, but because you asked. Yeah. But but going back to the whole all or nothing, you know, it's, it worries me, these people that, you know, Maybe you're a fan of Joe Rogan. He says some really stupid shit. Oh, absolutely. He's got some really wild out there ideas. You know, um, and, and unfortunately, I find myself, if someone says, oh, I, you know, I listen to the Rogan podcast every day, I immediately kind of write that person off a little bit. It be, because there's so much bad, you know, I, in my opinion, the stuff that comes out of that show is more bad than good. But I know for a lot of people, it's more good than bad. So I guess I'm saying all this to say I kind of fall into this trapping occasionally. Um, I've said there are things that I want to be a fan of, but I can't because of the fans of that thing, like Rick and Morty and System of a Down. But we, we, we all of us, need to do a better job of looking at you know the points on the point's sake as opposed to the messenger. Yeah, you know, um, we, we were talking this week. Um, Deion Sanders' son got a $5 million... Um, NIL deal with somebody and went out and bought a Rolls Royce. And the guy I was sitting with said, hey, I can't believe he went out and spent that money. I said, listen, he's Deion Sanders' son. He's not got to worry about investing for his future. Right. He didn't need the $5 million. Right. So if he wants to take that $5 million and go buy him a Rolls Royce, by all means. I'm yeah. not going to begrudge him that. It's not like he just came out of poverty and instead of buying mom a house, bought himself a Royals Royce. That's the equivalent to you and I having a good day and going and buying up a drum. Right. Absolutely. And it's so, I do think that the, the less all or nothing philosophies you engage in in your life, the better, the happier you will be as an individual. The one exception to this, and it's funny because it's, it's got a very narrow gap that it fits in. Um, is work. Now, I don't think you should be all in on work like a workaholic or anything like that. But if you strike out to start your own business, you have to have a certain amount of an all-or-nothing philosophy because if you're already planning contingencies from day one, you're going to have to act on those contingencies. Let's say I disagree. As someone who started a business from the ground up and built it up, I can tell you what I started to build... And what I ended up building that has yielded me a very successful, fruitful, fun life is two different things. If I had steadfastly stood to what I started out that I was going to do in this business, I'd have never established a good business. I, I guess that, so 
adaptability is, is still uh, a reasonable part of it. I guess I'm thinking if you're going to bet on yourself, go all in is really more to the point of what I'm trying to make. Yeah, it's, you know, we're, we're at the point where we're kind of arguing from the general to specific. The general being, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to build this business. Yeah, and that's more what I'm talking about from an all or nothing of failure's not an option. Uh, you know, I'm not going to have a plan B or C because I'll end up having to use it. Like, just go all in. Adapting as things come your way, absolutely. That's one of the, the principles of biology is adaptability. We have to maintain that, but... Yeah, I think that's a, a very valid part of it. I think, well, there's a difference in determination and an all-or-nothing philosophy. Yeah. So, anyway, all right, you want to do the one more article about the United Kingdom? Yep, so everyone born, everyone who's currently 15 years old, <laughs> I, I happen to know that because that was the year my daughter was born, anyone born after 2008 uh, will no longer be allowed to buy tobacco in the United Kingdom. And they've been studying the general tobacco, generational tobacco bans that other countries have put in place. New Zealand, we talked about on the show, and a couple of state bills have been introduced in uh, California, Hawaii, and Nevada. I thought Colorado had one too, but I guess I was mistaken. Um, so they are... Um, this is interesting to me, and I guess I don't know enough about how UK parliamentary procedure works, because it says that this is going to be a free vote, meaning that members of parliament will be able to vote however they choose, not under pressure from party whips. Do they not always have that? I mean, because I know we have party whips in the U.S. Uh, Congress as well. Well, Does this I don't mean know. no trading hands for votes? Is that kind of what I, it means? Yes, I, I don't know, but... Let me let me get to the bigger point I see of this. I can see both sides of this argument. There is no doubt that a generational tobacco ban would lower youth smoking. Yeah. There's no doubt that it would lower that youth smoking, but how much burden does it put on the system with trying to enforce this? And does the would President AI sign off on this? <laughs> Well, so there's a couple of things. A, if you're going to institute a tobacco ban, this is the way to do it. Now, I don't agree with doing it at all, but if you are going to do it, so the previous, uh, the, the current requirement is, is 18 years old. So you've got people who are three years from the legal age and most likely have not yet picked up the habit if they're going to. Personally, I'd rather see it at like 2013. So get, make it 10 years old. People who've absolutely, absolutely not, absolutely not. You're going to have some 14 and 15 year olds. Maybe it's 13 year olds who are already smoking. Um, but do it in such a way that you cut the bridge road off where there are still turnoffs. I, I agree. I think if you're going to do a tobacco ban, a generational ban is the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. And I do think this does, the unintended consequences, this does pr produce a black market for tobacco products. Well, and, and it's, it's interesting, too, because I wonder how much, like, think if we did something like this in the U.S., for example, federally. 
there are what almost a trillion dollars in the tobacco industry. It, I would, I'll say so. Okay. Yeah, let's just say a trillion dollars. So the the tax revenue from which in a given year we'll say is what probably half that, if not more. Right. And so you're giving up half a trillion dollars, $500 billion every year in taxable revenue or taxable income or, yeah, taxable revenue. What are you going to fill those gaps with? True. But now I'm a fan of if the government, if you cut taxes, the government, the reason we're paying these guys is for them to figure out how to spend the money we give them, not to figure out how to take more. But we, we know that we live in an imperfect system where that's not the case. And so, you know, because they'll just, there was, a, I forget which president did it, but it used to be that taxes collected on X went to X. You know, the gas tax used to go towards road infrastructure. Right. It doesn't anymore. Now everything goes into the general fund and everything gets parsed out according to need. So we're going to see, you know, you're going to see a downturn you know, because all that, that half a billion dollars in, in tax revenue isn't just going to enforcement of, you know, of the regulations surrounding tobacco. So that's where I think it's going to be a real problem. I can see that. I can see there being problems with that. But the good thing about it being generational is it won't be cut out all at once. Right. So theoretically, starting in 2026, um, yeah, I did the math right on that, I think. Um, there's the legal smoking age would just go to 19, and then 27 it goes to 20, and then it basically just rolls and, and, yeah, I do think that's the way to do it because you don't lose it all at once. But you, you certainly at some point do lose quite a bit. There is a tipping point. Yeah. There, there will be a tipping point. But regardless of what you do, there will be a tipping point. You know, we talked about cars at the beginning of it. Buggy whip manufacturers went out of business. Right. They had to find other ways to make money. So there, there is a certain amount of pain. But pain's just part of life. Anybody that promised you that there's no pain in life is trying to sell you something. Well, honestly, I think, and I don't know why nobody has made this argument, especially considering it tends to be the Democrats on, for both of these things, which is making university free to, to, the, to the students and banning tobacco. Let's just funnel tobacco tax revenue into the, into the education, higher education. Oh, absolutely. So then we get to keep tobacco, but it goes towards something. Everybody's happy. Hey, well, I'm some all... people will find a way to complain about it. Well, that's just that's the nature of human beings. I mean, we already so, do it with a lottery. So, give me a rating on the AJ Fernandez. This is a five and a half. Oh, that's unusually low. That's two weeks in a row you've surprised me. Yeah, it's, you know, I know you expect a six from most of your workhorses, but this is the reason I chose this one compared to every other AJ in the humidor that I like here is that I have one of all of the others in my humidor at home. I chose this because this is different, but it's always the last one I go to. It's not my favorite. It's very good, but comparing it against the rest of the AJ line? Well, the Bighorn is a six and a half. It is a destination smoke. When we got ready to go to Gatlinburg, Glenda said, pick us up two Bighorns. 
because we knew at some point we'd be sitting on the back porch and want to enjoy two bighorns. So it is a destination smoke. It is the definition of destination smoke. It's it's amazing. If you ha- if you ain't got your hands on one, you got to get one. They're just it's that good. I introduced it to two people last night, and the people I introduced it to, he said, "What does this cost? This tastes like it should be eighteen dollars. It's thirteen dollars cigar." And to me, that's the biggest compliment somebody can give a cigar I have given to them is say, oh, I would pay more for this cigar. Right. Absolutely. Well, how do they get a hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at facebook.com slash thecigarcast or on Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast and email info at thecigarcast.com. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and thank you all of us. Well.